Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I would like to tell you about a new series called Is the Mic Working? over on Patreon.com. This series will include interviews with prominent musicians, presenters and managers who chat with me about their experiences working with conductors. For the cost of a pint of beer once a month, you will get this new series plus exclusive news about this podcast and extra clips of music. To subscribe, go to patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You can also support the show by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which is greatly appreciated and will help the podcast reach a much bigger audience. Today, I conduct a conversation with a young Czech conductor who has a very successful career guest conducting all over the world. This success comes after studying in conservatories across Europe and being assistant conductor with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra. It's a very great pleasure to welcome Yerzy Rogenia. Yerzy, lovely to speak to you today. It's my pleasure, Michael, and thanks for having me. Uh, not a problem. Um, you're my first conductor from the Czech Republic. Um, I read that you're, you're from Prague. Um, what was your early musical experiences like? in the Czech Republic. Yes, I was born and grew up in Prague. And I have to say that I feel this was very fortunate because it's such a wonderful place, first of all, and also mm. such a great musical tradition. So my parents took me to concerts. We have four good symphony orchestras here and two opera houses. So mm. I attended many concerts and opera performances. I remember that the, one of the first pieces I have ever heard were Mussorgsky's pictures and uh, Tchaikovsky B-flat minor piano concerto and also my first opera was Smetana's Barted Bright at the National Theatre. At least it, there was a, a home opera. <laughs> yes, Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, instruments, what were your instruments? When did you start playing an instrument? Or did, maybe you didn't, I don't know. I had a piano at home, so I would be tapping the keys and trying to make up uh, some tunes. And I just loved playing the pianos because we had one at home. Mm. But also at the same time, I started to sing in a choir called Bambini di Praga. It was an excellent kid choir in Prague. And so I did uh, choir and piano at the same time. Mm. And what age did you first become aware of conductors and conducting? I know you would have been in a choir, obviously, and it would have been conducted. But what, at what age do you think that began to interest you? Well, actually, when I started with uh, singing in the choir, I was six. And I loved the personalities of the choir masters. And I really enjoyed also making music together with the other kids. This was great. But of course, after a couple of years, I think I stayed there for seven years. And I, in between, I heard many concerts and CDs. So I became interested uh, in other genres. I mean, overtures, concertos, uh, symphonies, mm. operas. So I thought I would actually be even more interested in symphony conducting. Yeah. Uh, and so what was your route into conducting? Well, I would say that important was at the age of 11, I played with an orchestra as a soloist. Oh, cool. And I tremendously enjoyed hmm. playing with the orchestra. And I loved playing uh, piano, but I thought, oh, I would maybe laugh even more to be the guy at the box waving his arm and working with the people. So yeah. I think I was 11, but at the time I was still too young to be able to study conducting in Prague. Yes. So I went to music gymnasium. It was a secondary school specialized for music. And I was there for three years, but you know, we had all other subjects, chemistry, math, biology, and all of the teachers saw that their subject is the most important in the world. Of course. They, they, they wouldn't be good teachers if they didn't think their subject was the best in the world. 
You're right. Yeah, yeah. but in, it was a very demanding. It was a very demanding school, but I learned a lot there. And also, I was studying piano with teacher called Martin Bali, and he's amazing musician and great teacher. And he would be talking all the time in my lessons about conductors. You know, mm. so you have your piano lesson and you hear just uh, Meta, Savalish, Peter, Abado, and and we were talking about conductors. And when I would play, he would conduct the pieces, and I just learned a huge amount. And I'm very grateful to him. So after music gymnasium, uh, I'm assuming it was then on to music conservatory and piano and conducting, or just piano. Well, it was at the age of 14, I decided that I would try at, to apply for conducting at Prague Conservatoire. And I decided to try just in conducting mm. because I wanted to continue with uh, Martin Bali, with the teacher I have previously mentioned, because he was so great that I wanted to uh, study with him further. So I applied only for conducting. and. Uh, it was actually, I remember my entrance exam was on the 250th anniversary of Mozart. Uh -huh. And I was conducting Mozart Prague Symphony in the exam. And also Eine Kleine Nachtmusik, which was with string quartet. And uh, it was one of the rounds. And they had many mistakes in their parts, which uh -huh. would be for some... Uh, students quite terrifying thing, but I found it really good fun because having perfect pitch it was just somehow super easy and so I was accepted and got a place there and the conservatoire was for four years between age uh, 15 and 18 and this is where I got my first possibilities to conduct a symphony orchestra because the school they have a very good uh, symphony orchestra. They meet twice a week and rehearse for like three or four hours. So it's not, it's not project-based, which mm -hmm. I think there was a very good level of the orchestra at Conservatoire. And I got nice experience with this ensemble. Oh, I mean, that sounds amazing. Uh, some conservatoires, the, the symphony orchestra happens maybe once a week, or as you say, it's project-based and a lot of the students aren't interested in being in it, um, which doesn't help, you know, conducting students at all. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's superb. Uh, so who was teaching you um, conducting at the Prague Conservatory? At the Prague Conservatory, it was uh, Hinek Farkac. He's a good established Czech uh, conductor. And I was also studying choir conducting with uh, Miroslav Koschler, who is brother of Zdenek Koschler, who, who was very famous uh, Czech conductor, who actually won the Matropoulos competition in New York in the same year with Abado. So ah, right, okay. It was his brother. Hmm. And uh, I mean, it was, it was great. It's a bit different than, for example, at Mozarteum, which I went afterwards. Yes. Uh, because the lessons are mostly one-to-one. -one, so you don't have the other people from the class where you can learn from. So it's a bit different, but it was also, it was also very good at the, at the beginnings for me. I mean, one-to-one is good but as you say I, I, when i studied with panola um for two weeks i probably learned more from watching him with the other students than i did when he was talking to me um there's such a lot to learn early on that yeah exactly. i think i think a mixture of one-to-one -one and and a group class is a good thing so yeah you you sort of mentioned the fact that you know you did your four years in, in prague conservatory then on to the salzburg mozarteum and then Zurich, and then Hamburg and Glasgow. I don't know which way around those are. I'm just listing the places where you studied. Um, I'm assuming that that's a minimum of five teachers. Well, you used to, well, it's, it's six because you already said that there were two at Prague. Um, and so many different approaches. Which, which of those approaches or which of those teachers would you say impacted on you the most over those five conservatoires? I think they have been even more than five teachers, quite yeah. many teachers. Uh, at Mozarteum, uh, I studied with Dennis Russell Davis and with Jorge Rotter. Jorge Rotter was the teacher who was always there for us 
you know, and uh, I also learned from him to read the score with utmost care and to give attention to every detail. With Dennis Russell Davis, he would come sometimes to Salzburg, but we also went to Linz to follow his rehearsal mm -hmm. with the Bruckner Orchestra, where he used to be chief conductor at the time. Then we would go for a good lunch and have lesson in the uh -huh. afternoon. And of course, he's a very experienced conductor. Mm -hmm. So his advices were very practical. And also, I studied in Salzburg with Hans Drevans. I don't know if you ever heard the name, old German conductor who started his career in the 50s, assisting George uh, Salty uh, at Frankfurt Opera. And also, I still did choir conducting uh, at Mozarteum with Kara Kamper, who used to be chief of the choir in Vienna at the State Opera in Zurich and Berlin. So great teachers. And in Hamburg, I didn't go there because of the city or because of the school, but I went there because of Ulrich Windfuhl, this great German Kapellmeister, very experienced. And I learned a huge amount from him. Mm. He gave me a lot how to lead an orchestra, also what to do when an orchestra is really late. And which <laughs> German, it's, it's quite common in German, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's common everywhere. It's just how late is the question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, very late, for example. But uh, he was really triggering our imagination and talking about the story behind the pieces. And uh, we had to always make some pictures and really uh, big imagination but first of all what was brilliant about the studies in Hamburg there was a great collaboration between the school and Hamburg Symphony Orchestra mm. so in my first year I got to conduct them in like 12 or 13 performances I mean five uh, performances of Ravel Lanfan which I was preparing and conducting and also we as a class would be sharing a concert one would do an overture the other the other student would do a concerto i could do two movements of a symphony you know so we really had many days and rehearsals with professional orchestra which is very valuable oh it's wonderful yeah, yeah. um really important as well that at an early stage in your career you encountered a professional orchestra and what that can be uh, and what exactly. that can be like and 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 there's this incredible resource of people that you can tap into um, it was really wonderful and then also as part of my of my master studies i went uh, for half a year to zurich to study with johannes schleffli who is considered to be one of the best teachers in Europe, and he, he is indeed. It was wonderful, his eye to be able to see a problems in the technique or in the rehearsal technique and solve it is just incredible. So uh, this also the class there is like a family. You know, we would go together to Bulgaria or even to Czech Republic to work with an orchestra for a week, and then there would be a final concert. It was great. I really mm. enjoyed my time in Zurich. And then on to Glasgow and um, the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. And I'm assuming there you were taught by Gary Walker. Um, exactly, that's right. And you have an, another wonderful uh, collaboration with the uh, BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and also, I'm assuming, the Royal uh, Scottish National Orchestra. Yes, you're right. I mean, the position is uh, working at the Royal Conservatoire and also, also learning from Gary Walker, which was really great. He's a, he's a great conductor. I really like his uh, technique, very fluid. He has amazing ears as well. And, mm. and I learned a lot, for example, especially about the physicality of conducting, avoiding tension, how to make an orchestra uh, 
play faster when you need, you know, to do a natural random because very often young conductors are trying, I think, to push it with power and giving more and more energy, but it actually doesn't help. And he learned me somehow that you have to relax and then it goes really easily. Mm. But uh, first of all, the collaboration is with BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra. I love this orchestra, one of my favorites, really. Great people and uh, great atmosphere within the ensemble. And I was very lucky because I was actually the only one so far, I think, who had the possibility to uh, meet both of the chiefs. I, my first year there was with Donald Ronicus mm -hmm. in his last year as a chief conductor and first year with Thomas Dausgaard at the helm of the orchestra. So I could see these two different but great conducting personalities. It's a very good um, setup, I think, at the Royal Conservatory in Scotland. I, that's where I met you for the first time, if you remember, in the, cap in the, in the cafeteria, um, because I'd gone up there to do some classes on, with the conducting uh, students on uh, Beethoven Eroica Symphony. It, it just feels like a really good setup for the conducting students, that whether they're undergrad or postgrad or masters, um, it feels that there's a very, very good setup and they're, and they're looked after and they've got plenty of opportunities to to have classes, but also to be in orchestra rehearsals and take orchestra rehearsals. And, um, and that collaboration is vital, isn't it, between a conducting course and an orchestra, I think. It is. And also we had master classes with Scottish Opera and with the RSNO and we conducted quite regularly uh, Red Note Ensemble, which is a great ensemble for contemporary music. So mm. and also preparing the symphony orchestra, assisting to the conductors. No, it's it's a great opportunity. Whilst we're in the area of study and you've just mentioned a name, I'm going to link this in with something that uh, was brought up on an earlier podcast. When I chatted to Sir Mark Elder, his answer to one of the 10 questions, which was, what would you change about being a conductor? Was, if he'd had the chance, he'd like to have gone back to being 20 years old, and he would have liked to have been dis uh, not dissuaded from conducting left-handed. Mark Elder is basically left-handed. He said, but at his age, he was, told he should conduct right-handed. Now, you just mentioned Donald Brannicles, who's a left-hander, and you are a left-hander. You're the first one I've to spoken to on my podcast. I'd love to know, at any point, did anybody try and dissuade you from being a left-hander? If so, why? what were their reasons? What have you, I'm sure you've thought long and hard about it. Um, so I wonder whether you could give me your experiences uh, I mean, throughout your career, of, of what it's like being a left-handed conductor. Because for those who don't know, I can think of three off the top of my head. You, Donald Brunicles, and Pavo Berglund. There may be more. I'm sure you know whether there's more or not. But can you let us know what, what, what it's like? Um, and what were your experiences with all of the teachers and the masterclasses you've had? What's it like? There are also a couple of younger colleagues, I could think probably of another three, yeah. but this is a very, this is a very good point, Mike, because actually coming back to the entrance exam at Prague Conservatoire, <laughs> back, to, back yeah. to 2006, the first time I took baton was with yeah. my left yeah. hand and I did the entrance exam with my left hand, yeah. but then at Prague Conservatoire, one of the teachers, she said, you know, try and conduct with your right hand. Everyone does it and it's just, you don't want to get into trouble with the orchestra musician and just uh, try and conduct with your right hand. It would be better. You know, I was 15. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I will give it a go. And I tried, but uh, actually in Scotland, when I talked uh, about this with Donald, he somehow encouraged me and said, why not just try? And uh, the first concert I conducted with the BBC SSO as part of the fellowship, I tried and conducted with my left hand because mm. I thought uh, with, with which other orchestra to try with left hand than BBC SSO, <laughs> having <laughs> left-handed chief conductor. Yeah. Yeah. I tried it and it went well. I felt well, but of course, after years, having the button in your right hand, it was a shock. 
I, it was really shocking and you were not used to it and then you didn't know what to do with the other hand and of course it's it was not easy and actually a couple of months later it was in 2016 i had my debut concert at the prague spring festival and i was like no way i would do it with left hand i just have to do it with my right hand because i'm used to it and i have done uh, all my conducting mostly with the right hand so i did this debut with right hand and then in the summer i thought well now or never i have to decide so from the season 2016-17 and my second year at the conservatoire, I was conducting left hand. And I have to say that since then, I feel really free. I feel really comfortable. I'm, of course, aware that it could be maybe not easy, especially for the, for the players which are used to have uh, the button close to them, celli or violas. Yeah. But I always try that they, can, that they can see the button hand and I always try to be with the, with the celli and basses giving enough attention that they don't feel abandoned. Mm. It's, a, it's a fascinating subject. I mean, you know, I remember... Yeah. Early on in my career as a violinist with the CBSO, playing for Pavo Berglund, and of course you notice that he's left-handed, but it never bothered me. Um, and I, I, I did wonder what all the fuss was about. And um, I mean, interestingly, going back to Mark Elder, he he talked about at being at school. You know, he's older than me and a lot older than you, and he talked about being at school and being discouraged from even writing left-handed, which was very much the way people could be at that time of history exactly the same here oh it is okay fine so you were discouraged um you know and, and you know, i i have my brother and my father are both very left-handed and you know so i've encountered this through my life and i just i fail to see what the problem is i just find it fascinating because there are so few of you um it seems that there are you know you just said you know three more young conductors who are left-handed and maybe now you know again like all the other invisible or, or very visible barriers in conducting you know you know um of race color creed sex uh, all of these things are being broken yeah. down that maybe also the left-handedness is, is is also finally disappearing i mean if i would ever teach conducting i would never say to a student of mine change and do it yeah. right yeah. because i think it's so important that the first time I ever I bought a baton and I took it and try, I did it with my left hand. Yeah. So I'm sure that the left hand is actually the right hand. Yes. I mean, Mark, Mark Elder did say that, you know, he, he eventually, of course, conducts right-handed, but he feels that because he's naturally left-handed, he's much more expressive with his left hand. Um, and it sounds like you, for quite, for quite a few years, from about 15 until... Uh, 2016 when you decided that's it I'm going to conduct left-handed it sounds like you also had a period where you used your wrong hand your right hand so do you feel that you're you can be expressive with both hands equally yes I think sometimes when I conduct without button it's very nice that you can form that mm. you can really form uh, the sound and of course the left hand was used so many years yeah. to do shapes and do espressivo right. so i had to really work on this with my right hand which was which was mostly rhythmically beating right. but now i think i i feel as i said i feel really comfortable and i wouldn't change anymore good <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad to hear it um but before we leave this subject have you ever encountered any players who've said to you oh why do you conduct left-handed no not really Good. <laughs> well, which means, you know, which means that, you know, it, the orchestral player world is sort of growing up and getting used to these things. Well, that's good. Fine. Excellent. Of course, of course, at the beginning, when I changed, I sometimes talked to the orchestra colleague, to the players and, and asked, what do you think? Did you feel comfortable? Could you see the hand enough? What could I do better? So I was talking to the players and sometimes they give me some advice and I try to inhabit this and now I feel pretty comfortable.
masterclasses are a big thing for conductors when they're young. And I've read that you had masterclasses with Bernard Heitink, David Robertson, Yuka Pekka Saraste. But the one I'd like to focus on is one that when these happened, I was an avid watcher. Um, and this is the masterclass with Daniele Gatti in the Concertgebouw Orchestra, which was streamed live and you could watch all of them as they happened on YouTube. Um, you did that in 2016, and it, what was that like? It sounded like, sounds like, it looks like, and it sounds like it was an incredibly intense three or four days there in Amsterdam with the Concertgebouw and Daniele Gatti. Did you enjoy it? What was it like? What, you know, being sort of so publicly scrutinized by somebody like Gatti who, who looked like it, it was good fun, but then, you know, I wasn't there doing it. Tell us, what was it like? I think actually it was in 2017 and mm. going back, as you mentioned that we met in the cafe, I remember that you said, oh, hang on, I have seen you somewhere. Oh, you did the Gatti masterclass. That's right. Yes, I, I did say that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I did say that. Well, it was, it was an incredible experience. Mm. I mean, to conduct such a incredible orchestra and Daniela is an amazing conductor and musician. I think I had no time to think about that it's broadcasted, you know, live. Yes. You don't think about this. You just focus on the music and you want to do as best as you can. Yeah. So I was not really thinking about this and was rather concentrating on music and on the orchestra. Would I be right in thinking that you had time with um, Daniele Gatti away from the cameras, um, the four of you, in sort of private meetings, um, as well as the, the very public online meetings with the orchestra and the audience? Oh, we did. He was yeah. actually, he was very generous with his time. We had afternoon sessions where we were talking about the day which we just done conducting with the orchestra, but then also asking him many questions and discussing about score study and about different aspects of the profession. Then also he would take us for a meal in the evening. It was, it was really nice. As I said, masterclass is a big thing as a young conductor. The other big thing, competitions. I assume you entered competitions during this point of your life. What were they like and did you enjoy the competitive aspect of competitions. I know that sounds a stupid thing to say, but mm -hmm. you know it's different from a masterclass where it's not a competition. You're all there. You're all um, you know trying to get as much wisdom and knowledge and experience as possible. Whereas a competition, there is definitely an aspect of somebody's going to win this at the end. What what was it all? What were they like? Well, during my time in Zurich, I applied for the Donatello Flick conducting competition. That's with the, the London Symphony Orchestra, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I was shortlisted. And so off I went for my first trip, very first trip to the UK and to London. Yeah. And yeah, I had no expectations whatsoever, to be honest. Yeah. No expectations. I just uh, prepared uh, the pieces and yeah, and, and said, okay, let's, let's try. I wanted to have the experience, how it feels and how it is to take part in a competition. So after the sec, I went to the second round, I did it. And then I went to London and uh, was sightseeing like crazy and not thinking <laughs> about oh, I should prepare for the final and read the scores again, you know? Yes. And then in the, in the evening, uh, they announced and I got into the final. So next day in the morning, I was rehearsing the LSO and it, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, to do something like this uh, first time visiting London. So we had we had a uh, public concert uh, in attendance also of Prince Charles in the, in the evening at the Barbican. And yeah, this was, this was absolutely a great possibility also to be seen in London and mm -hmm. to work with such a world-class orchestra. And then the year after I applied for the Nestle, Young Conductors Award, which is held in Salzburg every year. Mm. And I got into the final as well. And uh, it was great because it was, I think, the first time that the competition was held, the finals, the concerts were held as part of the uh, Salzburg Festival mm. with Camerata Salzburg. So it was 
it was wonderful because I selected to conduct a piece which I wanted to do for a long time already. It was a symphony number four by Miroslav Kabelac, Czech composer who is not so famous. And it was the Austrian premiere of the piece. So I had a nice mixture of Czech pieces in the program. It was yeah, great, great opportunity and wonderful experience. So you, you've already explained that you were assistant conductor of the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and luckily under two music directors, which really doesn't happen, as you said, very often. But you were also assistant conductor to the Czech Philharmonic and uh, Yuzhi Belaklavek. Were you the assistant conductor to the Czech Philharmonic or were you the assistant conductor to Yuzhi Belaklavek? There is a subtle difference. Well, I have to tell you the whole story because... Mm. Uh, I think it was in my second year in Glasgow, I got his invitation to do a, somehow a program for a Czech TV. Mm. And we had two concerts and we shared them together. Right. So this was my first time working with the Czech Philharmonic. I already met him before, you know, after concerts and also had kind of masterclass at the Prague Conservatoire working on Smetana's My Country with him. Mm. So he mm. knew me from before but we did this wonderful concerts together and then then like two months later he phoned me and offered me to become his assistant at the Czech Philharmonic mm. I was very excited <laughs> and I accepted immediately of course this was this was wonderful but very sadly two months later he passed away and Actually, I never became the, his assistant there. And I mean, I work with the orchestra quite often uh, doing in the, in the autumn of 2017, my subscription debut, and we recorded a CD and I, record, I conducted them uh, several times uh, since the concert we shared together with Mr. Bill Havik, but it never, uh, it never became the assistant position because mm. he suddenly passed away. Such a shame. I met him once um, in very odd circumstances. I ended up going for an Indian meal with him and uh, the management of the Czech Philharmonic. And oh, great. Also, but also with Ed Gardner and Kirill Gerstein. There was a whole load of us there. And uh, Ed happened to drop out that I worked regularly in Symphony Hall in Birmingham where the orchestra, the Czech Phil were playing the next day. And myself and uh, Maestro Belchlavek had a very long conversation about the acoustic and how it worked. And um, yeah, we got on very well, but you know, I felt like I was, in being, I was being interrogated at one point. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a wonderful evening. Um, and yeah, it was such a shame for you that that, didn't, that just didn't transpire. Um, yes, sad, I very mean, sad. I definitely learned some things of him. I had a couple of lessons with him as well. And this masterclass, as I say, and I mean, I already mentioned those concert sharing podium with him, conducting Dvořák's Otello with the with the Czech Phil at the age of 25 or 26. I mean, this is musical memory which will always stay in me. So. We are now out into the big wide world and and due to the fact that you've done these masterclasses and you've been assistants with um, at BBC Scottish, etc, etc, you are, or you were until Covid happened, um, on the what I call the hamster wheel of guest conducting, which is you are week after week probably going to new orchestras all over Europe and, and beyond. Um, and, you know, the list of orchestras that you have been to already and were due to go to is is amazing and it's wonderful. Uh, I want to know how much you enjoy that um, because it's part of everything. It's part of something we all do, guest conducting. Do you have a, you know, a, a strategy for first dates when you walk in on a Monday morning and you've never met the orchestra for the first time? What's it like? Tell us what, um, what it's like being in the middle of this because I mean, the good thing about calling it a hamster wheel is that hamsters seem to like being on the wheel. I'm not, I'm, I'm not calling it a torture. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> well, it's fun, but it's fun, but it can be stressful, I'm assuming, as well. Well, I have to say that I extremely enjoyed the couple of past years working with many 
different orchestras and also mm. exploring the different mentalities you know yes. it was was really enriching and fascinating sometimes it's stressful but i would say it's not because of the rehearsals but it's sometimes because of the travel i had mm. sometimes situations that you have a concert in the evening in france and the next day i had to be somewhere in czech republic next morning you know and this is of course this uh, traveling aspect of this could be sometimes quite stressful mm. but well for the first rehearsal i mean it's important to be to be prepared to study well the pieces and then of course also to be myself yeah I mean. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh you you learn pretty quickly that you can't be everybody's friend and you're better off just being yourself and you know if you form great relationships and love affairs with orchestras that's fine if you know you happen to meet somebody who doesn't like you and you don't like them well that's also fine because that's what life is exactly. like yeah that's that's what True. life is like no you are right and i mean you know this very well from your experience playing so many years with dcbso so i think that's that's uh, that's fine it sometimes works sometimes it doesn't but that's also okay so but yeah also as a player you can spot somebody who's not being themselves that's the really important thing to get across yeah. here, so, you know. mm. it's also i think in the technique i always try to be myself because it would be quite dangerous i had so many different influences in the master classes and also in my studies mm. so i always try to take the best from the people and somehow to inhabit it into my conducting but not to really try to conduct like someone else i think that's it doesn't work it doesn't come across well i mean going back to being left-handed that's first of all that's a bo a body language thing which is basically telling the extra look i am my own man uh, because uh, as we said before so few people do conduct left-handed because they're persuaded to conduct right-handed so that, but the, by doing an upbeat the first thing on a monday morning with your left hand already you're telling the extra hey i'm me you know and i think that's a, you're right it's, it's almost yeah. a, a, almost an advantage no you are absolutely right it's true the yeah. being left-handed is already being different yeah <laughs> well not being different you're just being you um exactly. actually what you've just led perfectly into my next question which is one i ask every conductor but because of the amount of people that you've just said you know master classes and teachers and mentors i'm assuming you now very much have your own way of m learning a score and marking up a score whether you mark up or put markings uh, or write in your score or not what do you do how do you go through that process well i have to say that recently i have been writing probably a little bit less into my scores than a couple of years ago also putting less colors i have kind of system i'm i'm using a normal pencil mostly yeah. but i also have red for example for important notes in the harmony which i want to be heard or when i see that tuba hasn't played for 260 bars so this would also get the red yeah. fine then i have blue which is for i'm marking pizzicatos in blue and also uh, articulation and dynamic and green is the uh, general entrances yeah. but it depends on if i have done the score often i probably wouldn't put so many colors and so many notes i also tend to get sometimes a new score especially with pieces which i have done more often to start from scratch yeah, yeah you know yeah. not do all the time what you have already done but to sing fresh every single time you do the piece i uh, like to play the piece first at the piano and to sing all the different voices before i listen recordings which mm. i do of course i think it's a great tool if you use it wisely usually it's 10 questions time and as ever we start with the question what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate I love the sound of a great orchestra. Well, this may be too obvious an answer, but <laughs> I, I like actually sounds of nature. 
sounds of birds and rustling in the forest, you know, sounds of sea or wind. I would say I would go for uh, sounds in the nature. Well, those sounds that we're actually at the moment hearing more of. Um, it's one of the bonuses of being, you know, quarantined or, you know, hopefully you've got somewhere you can go outside and, and experience, a, you know, a bit more birds. I do. I have, been, I have been walking uh, into forest, which is quite close from my home every single day. So I have been really in touch with the nature whole the quarantine. Lucky you. Um, uh, to, to go from sounds that we love, what do, what do you hate? The sound I hate, I think it would definitely be elevator music. <laughs> or if I'm on a train or on a plane and you can still hear loud music coming through someone's headphones. If you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? I think if it would be without music, you would probably find me exploring some interesting exciting city i love exploring the architecture and the historical buildings parks taking loads of pictures always mm. walking loads as well i sometimes actually do it before or after my weeks with an orchestra yeah. you don't have to leave for another project immediately of course mm. i have done it last year with tokyo stockholm and helsinki and i'll always really enjoy it it makes me relax a lot Mm. I mean, and sometimes the rehearsal schedule can be really helpful for that. Um, I recently worked in Cologne, a city I've been to many, many, many times when I was a violinist, but I recently worked with a wonderful orchestra there, the Funkhaus Orchestra, WDR, and we had a morning rehearsal one day, and then the next day it was a, a late afternoon evening rehearsal. So I almost had 24 hours free in the middle of a rehearsal period, and I could just, you know, right, I'll go and walk down by the by the river Rhine and just yeah explored it was it's it is a bonus I think I always try to do this really always I mean they always talk about conductors that they are people which know just airport lounge airplane and hotel and rehearsal space but I always try even if I don't have so much time I always would walk and try to see some things from the from the city center of the towns I always do it who would be your favorite conductor of yesteryear Gosh, well, I'm afraid I can't name just one, Mike. Well, don't name more than one. That's fine. <laughs> okay. You know, I always found very difficult this kind of question. Who is your favorite conductor or composer yeah. or name your favorite piece? I have always a circle of people which I appreciate a lot. I think I would go for Leonard Bernstein mm -hmm. for his great musicality and also brilliant pianist, wonderful composer, working with young conductors and mm. doing the young people's concert, bringing the music to broad audience. Yes. Wonderful. Also from Czech conductors, I would say Rafael Kubelik, mm. such a great musician. When you see his My Country, Smetana, it's just, it's wonderful. Also great, honest personality and maybe Josh Petter. Mm. Yeah, that's a name that's not been mentioned before. I mean, just watching him conduct, he exudes such personality. Yeah. Uh, and a character in his, in his conducting style. Um, it's definitely unique, I would say. He is indeed, yes, mm. but it's, it's wonderful. And going on, and again, you can have more than one, who would be a favourite current conductor or conductors? I like very much Andres Nelson's mm. for his connection with the sound, his fluid technique and wonderful mus musicality. He's so musical. I also like very much Simon Rattle, such an inspiring conductor and his rehearsals are wonderful. Daniele Gatti for I love his gestures and also the way he his method the way he works with the orchestra Roger Norrington if I would sing of uh, performance praxis I met him in Glasgow like two years ago he was rehearsing the RSNO for a whole day and then we would end up talking and discussing about music for hours and hours it was oh. just wonderful Maybe also Thomas Dausgaard, his concerts, they are full of incredible energy and uh, such a musicality. 
also Martin Brabbins. I just loved he did Chaik One with the BBC SSO last year, and you could really see his time in Russia mirrored in the piece. It was oh. just wonderful. Maybe also Sakari Oramo, Pavuyervi, and Tugan Shokir. I really like them. Their technique is just great. And well, I mean, what's interesting about that list is that you've just covered my entire 22-year career in the CBSO. <laughs> I, no, I, was I right? Yeah, well, I, I played under Rattle Oromo and Nelsons in my in my 22 years as a player. And yeah, <laughs> they were my choices of, of favourite current conductors. So, right. you know, yeah. we share We share this. Yeah, yeah, we do. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? I think if I would say in terms of technically it would be probably uh Krzysztof Mazatka I don't know if you have heard about the composer Czechowozer who has been living in Paris for many years very successful his clarinet concerto called Luminarium okay. in seven movements and mm -hmm. 21 parts each part is representing a different country so you have mm -hmm. to get the characters uh, right also many bar changes crazy extended technique many tempo changes and uh, richard blackford's Kalon, which we recorded with the czech philharmonic it's for string quartet and uh, a string orchestra and they are playing consistently different tempi but sometimes they just have to meet exactly it was quite difficult oh. to put together <laughs> that sounds horrendous <laughs> Oh, it was it was a good fun, I have to say. I'm it sure, was, yeah. <laughs> and physically, probably Buzoni Piano Concerto, which is 70 minutes long, you know, yeah. five movements. And in the fifth movements, you have uh, May Choir. And this was one of my first professional concerts and also one of the first uh, concerts which I did uh, after swapping hands and was with, with Kirill Gerstein. So mm. it was great experience and emotionally i would say sooks azrael have you ever played the i know I, I know the piece but i never played it no it's a wonderful piece because the story he he wrote it as a tribute to dvozak and uh, during his work on the fourth movement his uh, wife dvozak's daughter she passed away mm. and he was absolutely devastated and he couldn't work for a year and after, after a year, he did the fourth and fifth movements, which are written for her. And it's just such an emotional piece. It's wonderful. When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? I think my MacBook, because I found always very important to keep touch with my family and with my friends mm -hmm. and also watch. I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't leave house without having watch on my wrist. And what watch do you wear? Because I'm a watch nut. Oh, great. Uh, I have a Swedish watch called Kronabi and it's, it's, it's hybrid watch. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it has a classic look, but uh, it's also, it's connected to your phone. But I wouldn't like actually, to be honest, to have like notifications, you're getting emails on your wrist. So mm. it's slightly buzzy. So let's say if it, it buzzes twice, I know that I got email from my agent. <laughs> <Let's say. laughs> okay. <laughs> Always important to keep in contact with your agent. <laughs> what is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? I mean, I haven't been a chief conductor yet somewhere. I hope it comes soon. But I think if you are a chief or a principal guest conductor, you could be with the orchestra for not only a week, but let's say for two in case of the guests and three weeks uh, for the chief conductor in one go to really be with the orchestra, work hard with them and also to be in the in the city you know with 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 the with the people and with the music lovers and this also would put down the amount of traveling and would be more environmental friendly well i think actually that's something that will have to start happening more often i mean i remember you know when i first started in birmingham simon of course simon rattle lived in birmingham but he would do 
two or three weeks in a lump with us and then go off and guest conduct in Berlin or Vienna or, or wherever. Um, Andrus was much the same, Sakari much the same. And of course, when, when you're when you're the chief of, a, of an orchestra, and I like you would love to be one one day, um, you do end up touring. Well, you did. That, that's another thing that may change in the future. But, and touring, of course, is a place where you of really course. do get to learn your orchestra and your players and get to know them. Um, so, yeah, it's a good answer. Great answer. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? No music allowed. You can be, if you want to be a musician again, you can be a musician again. <laughs> well, let's say if it would be music, I would probably be a composer because I used to study composition at the Prague Conservatoire. Oh. But then I was just too busy, so I had no time to write anymore. Oh. If it wouldn't be music, I would probably be photographer of cities. I love architecture. I also enjoy modern architecture, skyscrapers, and maybe web design i enjoy making websites i have done my website and also help some friends with doing design of their own website so i enjoyed it if the world were to end tonight what would be your choice of final meal and drink it would be probably in some of my favorite prague restaurants overlooking the vltava river looking mm. at the prague castle which is my favorite view ever and i would go for svichkova it's a sirloin steak prepared with vegetables it's spiced and boiled with double cream and usually served with bread dumplings mm. it's a czech specialty it's really delicious and i would have the best czech beer mm. of which there are many czech beers <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful and wonderful it's been talking to you Yuzhi. really enjoyed it and I hope that we bump into each other somewhere, maybe even a cafeteria again in the near future. It's a great pleasure to talk to you, Mike. Thank you very much for having me and all the best to you. A Mike on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I talk to an American conductor who has been a chief conductor on both sides of the Atlantic. She is just coming to the end of a 29-year tenure as music director of the Virginia Symphony Orchestra and has been music director of the Buffalo Philharmonic for 21 years and counting. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>